Hi, and welcome to the FVCC Nature Journal, the podcast for everyone who loves nature. I'm John Fraley, longtime FVCC instructor in wildlife conservation and introductory ecology. Been doing it for about 35 years and also worked for 40 years with Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. So I love wildlife and I love nature. In our Nature Journal, we'll be focusing on the critters and quirks of nature found on the campus, the wide surrounding flatted basin, including the Bob Marshall and Glacier National Park. Sometimes we'll expand beyond that, and we aim to keep the show lively and fun. Together, we hope to learn lots of fun facts about the fascinating flora and fauna that we are so lucky to live with in our world. Our producer is Colin Burkhart, a student employee here at the Fad Valley Community College Library. And thanks to Susan Matter, library director, for offering the library as our podcast home. Today, we'll be exploring the mysterious world of a deep water fish, the pygmy whitefish, which I'll bet none of you have ever heard of. <laughs> with the fish detective, Sam Beret. Sam, thanks a lot for coming on. No problem, Job. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about your background, Sam. Uh, I work at Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks in Kalispell as a fisheries biologist, and I have my master's degree from the University of Idaho. And, you know, you're kind of known as a researcher. You've done a lot of great research, which is good. And uh, we won't hold the fact that you were from the University of Idaho against you, <laughs> even though U of M and MSU, I think, are superior schools. Well, uh, I guess that's up for opinion. So this pygmy whitefish we're going to be talking about, you're searching around for this glacial relic, this pygmy whitefish. It's an amazing creature, isn't it? Yeah, so it is an amazing creature. It's a, it's a small fish that has been distributed across the landscape as Glacier Lake Missoula retreated. Okay, and tell us a little bit more about it. It's small in size. It gets up to about three to four inches and is known to be in habitats that are in deep lakes. And it's found throughout western North America in Washington, Montana, some parts of Canada, an isolated population in Lake Superior, some places in Alaska, and a small isolated population in Russia. And this is a tiny little guy, right? It's kind of flattened uh, laterally. Tell us about what it looks like. It has that big bug eye? Yeah, it has big eyes that it could likely see its its um, food sources, which are zooplankton and phytoplankton in deep water, low light habitats. And it's slender and silvery and looks like it's close relatives, the mountain and lake whitefish. And this fish, uh, as we say, a glacial relic. Tell us how it works with a glacial relic. I mean, you, you mentioned a little bit, but... For example, one of the places you've recently found them is, is Big Salmon Lake and the Bob. How the heck did that whitefish get in Big Salmon Lake? Right, so likely they didn't swim up from some, some of these low-level sources. So as the glaciers retreated, these fish were found in the habitats that most supported it, and those are deep water lakes throughout its native range. Okay, and, and so the, the glaciers retreated, the fish was left in the lake. Correct. So yeah. I was amazed when you told me you got them in Big Salmon because I never thought of it. You know, I hike in there all the time in the Bob, and I thought, this glacial relic in Big Salmon, I was amazed because I knew they you were know, pretty common in Flathead and some other lakes. So, And believe it or not, this fish is pursued by anglers just for the novelty, I guess. Uh, there's been a number of state records. Uh, Doug Gamma had the original one on Ashley Lake, and then a spate of records in 2005, which included... Uh, Troy Fraley, who was nine at the time, my son, <laughs> 0.23 pounds, about nine inches. And then a whole other uh, three or four more in, in, in rapid succession when they saw in the paper they could get a state record. This current one is Richard Geldrich uh, in 2010, 0.36 pounds. That's a pretty tiny state record, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, 0.36 pounds. So, so they've been known for decades to live in Ashley, Bitterroot, Flathead, and the lakes you mentioned. Uh, 
In fact, in 1973, a paper explored the species and distribution. Tell us a little bit about that paper. I know you've cited that in your Yeah, artwork. so the authors, George Weasel from University of Montana and Lainey Hensel from Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, explored the species distribution and area around Flathead Lake and also found that it was an important food source for, for bull trout in certain periods hmm. of the year, mostly in the fall, in Flathead Lake. And these, these little pygmies, they like they, they congregate near the mouths of the rivers to spawn, right, in November, December? Yeah, so we know that they run up Flathead River to spawn, and there's also likely some spawning in Flathead Lake that occurs. But that's what actually gave us the initial idea to understand and, and do research on these pygmy whitefish because we think there might be a link in the Flathead River with other native species, including cutthroat trout and bull trout hmm. in the fall. Interesting. And, you know, back to that 73 paper very quickly, how small the fisheries world really is. Uh, George Weissel was my ichthyology professor at University of Montana. <laughs> and Lanny Hensel worked for us for ages uh, on Flathead Lake. So right. it just seems like such a small world. So recently you and others, um, uh, Jim Durello and, and Niall Clancy, have been searching for this rare fish in other areas. Tell us about how you do that and where you found them. Yeah, so we we looked at the the distribution of these fish, and we thought that there could be some other lakes that they might be in that they haven't previously been recorded. And to do that, we looked at deep lakes. So we narrowed it down, looking at lakes that were about 90 feet or deeper where they haven't been sampled. And the reason they probably haven't been sampled be- before is because you ha- the only way to catch these fish are in really deep, open water sets away from shore in very small mesh gill nets because if the mesh is too big they just swim through. So we're using half inch and three-eighths inch mesh gill nets. So what that means is the space in the holes of the gill net that the fish can swim in and get sampled. So let's say let's take Big Salmon Lake again. That's the closest way in is is about 20 miles from Holland Pass or from Meadow Creek. How'd you get the nets in there, and how long did it take you to sample it? Right, so it was a big a bit of an undertaking, but we did do it in accordance with some other data collection and research. But once we got in there, we, we had to set camp and horse pack all our nets and everything in there, and we had an inflatable kayak that we were able to use. And first we went out with just a handheld depth finder and tried to find deep areas in the lake because mm-hmm. we didn't have a bathymetric map of the lake, but we suspected that it was deep just based on on the maps. So we found some deep areas that we thought would be good, and then we we used a bag with some rocks in it as a weight so we didn't have to carry the weights in, and we used some really lightweight floats that we had and brought those in, and we put two nets in a couple of the deepest and flattest areas of the lake that we knew the net would sit really well and potentially catch pygmy whitefish if they were there. So what depth did you actually catch them at? We caught them at about 150 feet in depth. Wow. What part, we, where, where was that on the lake? That was close to the inlet in the lake, okay. which luckily, because you know, you can imagine that in the afternoons in Montana, in the summer, the winds got pretty pretty big, so mm-hmm. there really wasn't any option in setting them in the, the far end of the lake if we were camped at the, the uh, other end. So right. um, we set those there. And we waited, we kept those in overnight, and we checked them the next, the next morning. Okay. A couple, just an aside on, on Big Salmon Lake, you know, that inlet area where you set your nets, that is one of the most incredible fishing spots in the Bob Marshall, maybe the most incredible, because of the 
because of the cutthroat that congregate there and the bull trout. You can't deliberately fish for bull trout, but you will occasionally catch one. And it's an incredible area. You go there in the evening, you watch all the fish coursing around and chomping down, and they're probably eating a lot of pygmy white fish. But <laughs> yeah. I never knew. I, I mean, I've been, I've been on that lake and studying, actually, uh, the area around it for 40 years, and I had no idea there was pygmy whitefish in that lake. Yeah, yeah, that, and that could explain the healthy bull trout population and cutthroat that are there because they have a lot of their native assemblage, including pygmy whitefish. So how surprised were you when you pulled the net and had pygmy whitefish? I mean, in we it? were all really happy. We were, we were all fairly surprised, and we knew that we had discovered something kind of cool and that people would appreciate it like you, John. So thanks for, for really thinking that's cool. You bet, and where will you be looking next now? So we this this spring we've looked at a number of lakes, including McGregor Lake, Middle Thompson Lake, Stillwater, and Foy's Lake that we did not find them in. We did find them in Tally Lake for the first mm. time this spring, which was really exciting. One of the deepest lakes in Montana, and we'll be going to some of the other lakes in Glacier National Park that they've not previously been reported in, but they're likely in because of their depth, including Harrison, Kintla, Bowman. In Quartz Lake, and just recently, because we've had this interest in the study, um, they have been found in Logging Lake by USGS hmm. researchers. Well, I suspect you're going to find that uh, pygmy in some of those other lakes you mentioned. And and so people always ask, you know, like like uh, Racer Powell and I talked about when we talked about the red tail riffle food web, you know, what good is a pygmy whitefish? Why, why are we worried about pygmy whitefish? Well, w- one thing is for certain is that by understanding the distribution of these fish, we'll know we'll never know if they're lost if we don't know where they are. So mm-hmm. just understanding their basic life history and where they are in the landscape is important. And we also don't know the link between pygmy whitefish and the rest of the food web, and in particular native species that are important in our region, including West Slope cutthroat trout and bull trout. Yeah, and you know, that makes a really great point. If you lose the animal in the lake and you, then you go try to sample it, you would never know it was, was, would have been there. So it's just really great to find all the places we can where this fish, because it's sort of like a canary in a coal mine. It's a very cold water fish, and any kind of warming would probably be subjected to uh, to negative impacts. So, well, thanks for coming on, Sam, and develop, uh, de- delving into this hidden world of this tiny fish. And, you know, as fish detective, we know you like to keep a low profile, but you can put your sunglasses back on now, and we've completed the show, and really say safe, uh, because... On the next show, we're going to be talking about illegal introduction of walleyes into Swan Lake and how you track down the perpetrators, or try to, who illegally put them there. So stay safe, and we'll see you next time, Sam. Thanks for having me, John. That's all the time we have today for this segment of Nature Journal. Thanks for joining us. Please watch the FVCC Library page, website, and Facebook page for more shows as they're posted. Also, feel free to post questions or ideas. I'm John Fraley, and I'll see you next time. (music) 